I believe that if you have to err, that you should always err on the side of children. You are now listening to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast with your host, George Valenzuela. This is education coach George Valenzuela. Welcome to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast, where I provide all educators, whether instructional leaders or teachers, tips on how to be their best both personally and professionally. Now let's get into it. We are here today with my very good friend, Dr. Avisha Ford, who's an entrepreneur, the founder of the I Can Dream Center in Illinois, in Tinley Park, and a Solution Tree author. How are you? I am doing very well and super excited to be here with you today, George. Me as well. I know a lot of people are watching and they're excited too. Let's just get into it. I love that you excel in three major areas of your life. Number one, you're a kick-ass entrepreneur like myself. Number two, you're a solution tree author, again, like me. And three, (laughs) yes. And three, you're very passionate about your fitness journey, which I am trying to be. (laughs) And so many other people as well. And that's why I want you to speak about it. But before we get into how you excel at each of those three things, Dr. Ford, can you please introduce yourself to our audience? Absolutely. Well, I'm so excited to be here. You did a great introduction. I started my career working with inner city homeless youth in Chicago, became a public education leader, a director of special education, assistant superintendent, and also spent three years as an assistant professor of educational leadership, which was amazing. Saw this gap in services for young people that are so close to my heart and founded the Icon Dream Center, which actually turned 10 years old in March. So it's the Icon Dream Center is older than my oldest child. Yes. And one of the reasons we've been so successful at Icon Dream Center is because of the environment and the space that the adults hold and and the support that we give to our team. And so that has actually been translated into my book, Benches in the Bathroom Through Solution Tree. And I have been recognized in a lot of ways, and I'm always humbled to have anybody see my work and my efforts. But I will say that my most generous award comes from my sons, my two boys, as best mom ever. And I'm a mom of a six and eight year old. And that's a great feeling. That's a great feeling. Now for the audience, Avisha and I met on LinkedIn, I want to say two, three years ago. Late last year in 22, I think in November or December, she got into my DMs, y'all. And, <laughs> and she invited me to her school for a keynote and a book signing because my Solution Tree book came out. And she invited me and I got to meet her staff. And I want to give a big shout out to the I Can Dream staff in Tinley Park. What's up, y'all? I know you're watching. I know you're listening. They were so kind to me. They were so into the work, so into the children. And they left an impression on me that I will never, ever forget. But Avisha, from your perspective, what's our relationship like now since then? I think we're colleagues. You know, it's funny because you asked, how do we meet? And I was trying to really dig deep into the recess of my memory. So I'm glad you know that, like, that you were able to name that, like, on LinkedIn. But it's been actually really great knowing you and, like, just having your mentorship and input and encouragement. Like, oh, my goodness. And so... That's been really great for me. And obviously you're ahead in your solution tree journey. journey, And so I've gleaned so much from you and I appreciate that. So, I think she's very modest, y'all, because honestly, anyone that follows her on social media, anyone who has seen her speak, when I did my keynote, she opened up for me and I can absolutely say 
She's tweaking y'all. She don't need a lot of mentorship. She don't need a lot of instruction. She is tweaking a lot of knowledge that is grounded, not just in pedagogy, not just in pedagogy, not just in research, but in heart, not just saying equity, but doing equity. For that reason, I had to invite you on even before your book is out, which you are an author, but the book isn't out yet, but it will be, and you'll be back then. I don't want to get into the book yet. I want to get into entrepreneurship. For anyone watching for the very first time, listening for the first time, please hit the subscribe button on either Spotify or YouTube. This show is called the Lifelong Learning Defined Show, where we invite my friends, which might be educators, may not be, but they're excelling in three major areas of their life, which we call lifelong learning, which is part personal, part professional. And we ask them questions that we know folks in the audience want to know and want to learn from. Entrepreneurship is the first thing that I notice about you. Like you said, you're 10 years deep in the game. You founded the I Can Dream Center, which is a nonprofit. Can you tell us about the center and what made you start it? Sure. Yes. So I was a director of special education in a high school district in Illinois. We're kind of funny with we break up school districts between high school and elementary school districts. And so my first thought and understanding marginalized kids was in my work at Chicago Public Schools. And I really was hyper focused on early childhood students. And I had determined during my work there that I wanted to create a space for young children and for families. Fast forward, I became the director of special education in a high school district, and I really saw a lot of young people slipping through the cracks. And my concern is that they would fall out of the school system into the criminal justice system, and that was not okay with me. I'd had a track record for building program, um, transition program, a few behavioral support programs and with the goal of making sure that students were included with their gen ed peers. And so I still saw a gap in services. I took the idea to my superintendent. He wasn't interested for a variety of reasons. And so I said, well, thank you very much. And so I left that role and opened the I Can Dream Center about six months later. Yeah. So, but I do want to say this. I grew up with parents who are entrepreneurs. And so I kind of came into this kicking and screaming. It wasn't exactly what I imagined that I'd be full time in entrepreneurship at this point in life. I, I don't, I can't say that I imagined that. I think it's something that had to be done because I believe that when you see the need, that's the call. And I certainly saw the need. So. Wow. For anyone out there listening and Dr. Ford, I'm not sure if you experienced this as well. When people corner me or they get into my DMs or they have a conversation with me, it's very rare that they're asking me about, well, how do you do that SEL and that project-based learning and that STEM? They're asking me, how did you start your business? What made you want to do it? How are you leveling up every month, every year? And I'm five years in business, so you're ahead of me. But from what I'm hearing is two things. You had a head start because your parents were entrepreneurs. It sounds like you knew how to run a business. Am I correct? No, okay, <laughs> that okay. is absolutely okay. not okay. correct. Okay. okay. All right. So let's skip that part. But yes. I hear fearlessness. And in my, in my experience with myself and other people, we hear that voice inside of us that says, hey, you have to do this. Start your own thing. There's a need. Do your thing. But then there's another voice that says, no, you can't do that. Can you explain where did that fearlessness come from and what made you start? 
So that's interesting that you called it fearlessness, because I can remember a lot of moments of fear and intrepidation. And what I can say is I chose to push past them. Right. So that's what I can say for sure. What my parents instilled in me is tenacity. And so what I heard repeatedly growing up was don't accept the first no. Right. And so Mm. that is deeply embedded in my soul. And so there is a tenacity in what what they also instilled in me, which has really voted well for entrepreneurship, is that I can work hard to achieve what it is that is setting my soul on fire, if you will. Mm. And I saw them put in work. I saw them reap rewards of entrepreneurship, but I saw the hard side of it. I mean, my parents worked for themselves my whole life, basically. And so I've seen every aspect of it. And so I kind of came into it kicking and screaming. (laughs) And what I knew how to do well was design programs for youth, right? Like I'd done Mm -hmm. that in my job. I had a rhythm. I knew how to staff it. I knew how to create budgets for it. I knew how to build curriculum that was going to be relevant for programs. I didn't know how to run a business. So I took several classes through the University of Illinois in Chicago, through the Urban League. And I was part of a program through a bank where I had a mentorship. And so while I was really building the I Can Dream Center, I was taking these classes. And one man who was a professor in one of the UIC programs said something that was so profound, and it really set me free. He said that Anyone who runs a business doesn't actually know how to run a business. They know how to fix cars. They know how to facilitate workshops. They know how to do hair. They don't know how to run a business unless you have a business degree. So that actually allowed me to cut myself some slack. Like I'm not supposed to know how to do all of these things. It's not what I went to school for. I have become proficient at a necessity um, over the last decade, but none of those skills, spreadsheets and cash flow, none of that was second nature for me. It wasn't, it, you know, it's what I've learned at this point, but it was, it was a commitment to learning, right? It's a nasty that I'm going to understand this in a deep way that I can have a conversation with my accountant and I understand what he's talking about. So, mm, mm, so many nuggets. If you are considering being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, you need to listen to this. I want to tease those things out. First things first, not accepting no. The best way to go about that is don't talk to people that haven't done what you want to accomplish. Talk to people like her parents and follow your heart, follow your gut, follow your intuition and learn from experts. Number two, get those business classes under your belt. So a lot of people don't know. If you look at George, don't just look online and be like, well, he's nice at marketing. No, I have a minor in business. I took marketing classes. I took accounting. And not only that, I have a great accountant who I meet with every quarter. He gets paid every quarter when there's a problem with IRS because they do come and he knows how to help me out because the paperwork is right. So those things are very important. The last thing that I heard here was having the curriculum, having the program, but also what she didn't mention, but I know that she meant this, having the right people in place. I've been at the ICANN Center. Lots of staff. I'm talking about like 40 plus, right? Yes. Okay. An amazing school. Lots of classrooms. It looks like a private school, honestly, in terms of all the resources and just the way that everything is set up. But it's also set up in a way where the environment is conducive to learning. What I love about Dr. Ford is that 
the staff are on the same page about the kids and about the work. That's not something you always see in public education. It's more like in the private sector. I just want to give a props on that. Yes, y'all, all these moving pieces. If you want to be successful in entrepreneurship, if you want to have a successful business, you have to consider all these things. And I don't think it'll take six months to open up like how Dr. Ford did, but it'll definitely be part of what you're going to have to learn. Visha, when I meet people like you and y'all give me an endorsement, when y'all say to me, you know what, George, that was really good. I really like the way you did that. Whether it's a keynote, whether it's a book, it really makes me feel like I've arrived, like I've made it where I've made an impact where my peers, right, have let me know that we appreciate what you do. When did you know as an entrepreneur that you arrived or that you made it? Like you really have made an impact. This is so interesting because it never came down to, for me, the number of students that we served or our operation budget or staff really very early on. And this is one thing. I didn't actually have a salary from Icon Gym Center, I think, until maybe year four. And one of the things, though, that kept me so full and kept me going is these conversations that I'd have with families. So hearing from parents informally and sometimes formally about the positive impact that was made on their family, on their marriage, on their kids, the progress they could see. One thing I, I pride our, us on is that we don't just work with the student, we work with the family. And so we're a resource for the family as well. All those stories that in fact, the work, the hard work, the volunteer work was actually reaping real benefits. Like I can think about some stories that I heard early on in our first location over coffee that like still bring me to tears. And that is really what said, okay, this is, this is worth it. This effort is really worth it. This, I want to go back to what you said about like not talking to people who hadn't done it. I think we all have a journey to walk. And I love to say that the lane you're supposed to be in, the traffic is clear, right? I'm not mm. supposed to be in your lane, right? And I can remember someone who is close to me at probably at the end of year one or maybe going into year two asking like, when are you going to just like give up? Because you don't, you know, you still like, you're not making money. You don't make a salary off of it. So when are you going to like give up? And I was like, well, I don't suspect I will. I, I, I don't imagine that I will. And so that was a real question. It didn't come from a bad place. It came from a place that I can't make you see my vision. Right. Or mm -hmm. I can't make you believe what I can, what I could foresee down the road. And so I guess if you do have a spirit that, hey, there's a gap I'm supposed to fill to just hang on to it and know that there are going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. Like it comes with it. Right. Um, but you have to just be determined to stick with it, despite what others may say, because remember, the traffic is clear in your lane. And so they may not see what you see. The traffic is clear in your lane and people will not see what you see. That's fantastic. I want to piggyback off of something you said. I'm a big fan of other entrepreneurs and Dame Dash from Rockefeller Records back in the day, he said this, you know, people look at entrepreneurs and think, oh, they're rich. The business might be rich, right? But entrepreneurs don't really have all that money. They're paying other people as they go along, the cash flow if you're successful, it's always there, but it's not for you. And I really love that you just said that. You didn't get paid into the fourth year. 
y'all, this is my fifth year in business, my 10th year being a consultant. This is the first year I'm making an actual salary. That's decent. Yeah. It's the first it's, year. It's, yeah. It, it's not if you're if you're in it for the long run. Right. Like if you're in it for the short gains, then you're probably the the business revenue is your revenue, which is, I believe, the wrong way to do it. So the reason that our classrooms are resourced and my team is happy is because I wasn't taking a salary. I was putting that money back into the I Can Dream Center, making sure that my students could come and have technology and they can have access to items and things that they would be afforded in a public school setting as well. So, mm, mm. And my good friend, Phil Bristol, who was on the last episode, episode 19, I believe, or 18, not sure now, but he said relationships has a lot of moving pieces, but one of them is having fun. Dr. Ford, I wasn't invited to your holiday party. <laughs> but, but I got to see all the props and everything. Can you just briefly explain how you give back to your staff and you acknowledge the holidays and the things that we all love? Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Let me just say this. I love my team. And I try to tell folks how to set up an environment like I can dream center, but the bottom line is we just have the best folks. So I don't know how to help that, you know, but my team is great. They pour a lot into our students. And so I do want to always let them know that they're appreciated. And so we go all out, you know, when it comes to holidays and it's not just about bonuses, but it's about gifts that are personalized to them. So this year, all of my team got personalized gifts that, that were really there. We put a lot of thought into thinking about what would be suited for them. We do have a very generous calendar. So once a month we have an extended weekend because everybody wants a Friday and a Monday and maybe a Tuesday off. And so we try <laughs> to throw that in once a month. So there's a lot of things that we do to appreciate our staff. We have an employee of the month thing. We have a <laughs> a once a month mixer, which is a lot of fun. And, and we get together informally so much because it's great to get to know one another and be able to blow off steam. And I believe that when those relationships are built, then we can have real candid conversations with each other about the hard stuff too, right? Because not every conversation is going to be flower and roses. Sometimes it's going to be like, you know what, you need to take a different approach with that student. Or I saw this interaction and I think you can improve it if you just do this, right? And so once the relationships are built, now we can have the real conversation because at the end of the day, we're here for the kids, despite how much fun we have. So for folks out there listening who run schools, listen to what Dr. Ford is saying, even public schools, we had a PD day and the superintendent said, George, we're having a wellness day where the staff don't have to come to work. That was from the school board. So folks out there listening, out there watching, take these little nuggets and reach out to Dr. Ford, pay her for her time, learn from her, find out the things that you need to do to win your staff over. Don't forget this, y'all. Your teachers, the ones who are with the kids, they're the backbone of schools, of education, of everything that is done with children. That's something to really consider. To an entrepreneur starting out, what are three things you would tell them they need to do? I think the first one is what we covered already, and that is making sure that you are getting wise counsel. So one thing about me is that I don't have any issue with asking for help, right? So I have a fitness coach. I have a business coach. I have a therapist. I have a spiritual director. I have any 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 realm of folks that I can glean from 
I'm always up for that. And I think that we have to sometimes put our pride aside and ask questions and just say, hey, can you can you help me? Right. The Illinois State Board has since probably three or four people to me just in the last year who are interested in opening spaces like ours. And I actually counted an honor that they send them to the Icon Dream Center as the as the prototype. And I have been so grateful to be able to pour back into them and help them because at the end of all, we can't serve every student, but I do want the students who are served to be in places where they're feeling loved at, at the end of all. So get counselors. You made a really great point about an accountant. You need to become best BFS with your accountant. Set up your business in the right way, establish the right structures, and know that you're not always going to be getting paid right away right? and be okay with that. Make provision for that. And I think last but not least, probably most important is to know that at the beginning, you're going to work really hard, right? It's going to be tough, but that to start to build in routines and habits that allow you to rest. Like for, mm. for me, my mode is go mode. Like I can just sit and work and pound it out, especially like, you know, I love my work and I don't love doing numbers and audits and generating reports. But when I'm in a mode, I'm in a mode. But you have to build in time for rest as well, right? Like we can be more innovative if we actually rest. So that's it. So know that you have to work hard, build in rest time, get an accountant, become their BFF, and get as many advisors as you can. I want to piggyback off that real quick. My accountant is an older gentleman, Dr. David Branch Sr., and he's been in the game for a long time. I can honestly say, y'all, becoming his BFF, right? It means that he gets paid on time for his work. He gets respect and he gets a holiday gift. There's a speaker named Jeremy Anderson and I signed up for one of his courses and Jeremy says this, who your client is, who you're doing business with that's adding to you, get them a holiday gift. Do something for them because if you don't, there's someone that will show them appreciation. With that said, I do want to transition. I want to get into becoming an author and being a writer. Your book is titled Benches in the Bathroom, Leading a mm -hmm. Physically, Emotionally, and Socially Safe School Culture. Please mm -hmm. tell us about the book and your official launch date. Sure. So the book is available on Solution Tree and Amazon for sale like right now. It's going to ship. It will ship the first day in June, the first week in June. I'm sorry. But the book is really all about front loading supports. And so right now we've taught, we've spoken a lot about wellness, about personal wellness. And so Benches in the Bathroom really challenges leaders and aspiring leaders to take that idea of personal wellness and trauma, compassionate leadership strategies and apply that to their organization. I believe that when organizations create an environment of wellness and create an environment that invites teachers to bring their whole self to work, that our students benefit from it. And so there are some really amazing strategies on how we can show up as leaders for the folks who are on the front lines. Some of the things we talked about already, you know, appreciation, but some of the things that are probably a little bit less sexy to talk about than gifts and bonuses, such as like being structured and organized, right? Like not making your team, not increasing the chaos of your team by having your own self organized and ready to roll. So it was really a fun, fun project to write. And I really know that it is going to be a blessing and a gift to the school systems that sort of embrace the approaches that are delivered, that are shared. Oh, that's fantastic. And based on what you're saying, 
it seems like the target audience is administrators, school leaders. It is, and aspiring school leaders, yes. Ah, so teachers as well. Teachers have to lead the kids. So I think it's kind of- <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I know my audience and I know my friends. A lot of people are either becoming authors or want to become authors mm -hmm. or have a book and are thinking about the next one. Can you talk about your process with Solution Tree for a moment? With Solution Tree specifically? Yeah. I do want to backtrack and say one thing and relate it to the point I made before about like getting counsel. So when I thought I had a book <laughs> and I say thought because it looks completely different than what my first manuscript was. But I hired a writing coach because mm. I wanted someone to really allow me. To, I wanted someone to really allow me to to push me to level up in my writing and in my approach to things. And and so she did. And so when I finally approached Solution Tree, they liked their proposal. It took them some time to get back. And I think that for folks who have self-published, it's a completely different process when you work with a publishing house. And that I want to say right away. I think that I think that the process took about maybe three months for them to say, yes, we're going to bring you on. And we signed the contract. And really from that time, I started getting some really great support from the editor. We worked chapter by chapter. We went from that to another editor. And that was really around like fine tuning, ensuring up the content. And it was actually a really great experience. I had some rough moments because I had, you know, work and parenting and school and in life. And, and I had these deadlines and they were real. They were serious deadlines. <laughs> What I found out later is one of the team, one of the folks on my team said, we enjoy working with you because you meet all the deadlines. And to me, I, I didn't I never gave myself permission not to meet the deadlines. And so I was just writing a lot. And it also meant that not different than when I was in a doctorate program, that there were a lot of weekend and evening events that I did not attend because I needed to block that time to write. And so it was it's been a great journey. Amazing support along the way. And I'm excited about actually having a book in my hand. So, Well, I'm excited too. I ordered my book. And for folks out there that are thinking about it, order it. Order it. I will put the Amazon link and the Solution Tree link into the show notes. And I want to piggyback a little bit off what you said about having a writing coach. There are two ladies that I credit. Number one, Marva Hinton at Edutopia. She has been an excellent mentor a coach, and a person that has helped me make my writing very conversational. And there's also Gabby Jones over at Solution Tree. Well, Gabby was my second editor. And this is why I wanted you to talk about Solution Tree. The Solution Tree has an interesting process. You get two editors, one in the beginning, and then one after the manuscript is done. Gabby really gave me rewrites. And there was a deadline, which I didn't meet. I was not as good as you. I did not meet the deadline. But the rewrites and her advice and the things that she pointed to brought things out of me that I would have to say make me a better author. For the listeners out there, if you're considering a publisher, think about Solution Tree. And the reason why is because it's peer-reviewed. It's peer-reviewed. Other experts will read it but you also get an editor that's working with you, at least on the first book, side by side. That's really important. What would you 
tell a person that wants to be like you, have a book, but is very busy, and they might be intimidated with the process? What are three things that you would tell them that they should immediately do? I think just starting to get some ideas on paper and figuring out ways that make sense for you. So like maybe voice notes. I've done a lot of that. My book actually came out of professional development. So I was hired by the Illinois State Board of Education to develop a workshop for leaders. The amount of time that I spent researching for that workshop, I really said, you know what, this is enough to become a book. And so that's actually the Mm. very loose framework now for the book. So I think really just starting to get your thoughts and and maybe getting a writing coach. I think that would be a good thing because they're going to hold you to the deadlines and push you a little bit more than you can do on your own for certain. When I want to go back to what you said about peer reviewers. For me, that was such a amazing, an amazing experience seeing the peer review. I was sort of holding my breath for a while, waiting on the peer reviews. They gave me excellent feedback that I was able to make the book that much stronger once I got that feedback. But it was also incredibly validating, right? You think you have this idea. I've presented the material in some form to uh, across Illinois a few times, but to hear from peers across United States and Canada that, wow, this is some good stuff. And principals saying, I'm going to use this right away. And, you know, a couple of superintendent feedback on, on, oh, I wish I had had this before. All of my team needs to be trained on these things. That was extremely validating. And I feel like that was probably my favorite part of the process was reading those reviews from the peer reviewers, reading that feedback. Yeah, I can totally relate. My first two books, you hold your breath, you hold your breath. But it's so validating. It's so validating, but also it helps you structure the book better. So my very first book, they said, really great content. Love the way you did it, but the chapters should be in this order. And that advice has helped me for the next three books. So I totally get that. What I love about you is your ability to answer questions in a way where you answer the following question that I had (laughs) and so concisely and so precisely and in a way that for someone that is listening and they will listen back, I'm sure they will definitely get it. I'm going to transition now into the final topic, which I know that you excel at. All right, y'all, you can't see right now in the video, but when someone meets Dr. Ford, it is very obvious that she is fit. How did you get into the shape you're in now? Thank you for posing the question in just that way. Uh, I, I, I looked at some Christmas pictures. We took family photos one year. And let me just say, on the Christmas card, I was not in it. It was only the children. I was like, when I like seeing those photos of myself was such an eye opener. And it wasn't just me. My husband was fat too. Like we were both in a space that looked like we needed to be caring for ourselves a little bit more. And so just made a commitment at that point to really focus on getting healthy. So initially, I will say admittedly, it started as a vanity thing. Like, okay, I want to look better, feel better. And I did. I mean, probably in six months or a year. And I started getting back into a rhythm. I've always been a, a person that works out. And so probably with having young children and with the I Can Dream Center, I had fallen out of a rhythm, right? And so I was able to get back into those habits and it was great. And then along the way, two of my first cousins and my sister had heart issues. 
one of them's had a part of a valve replaced, a heart, a heart surgery and stints and, and all kinds of things. And so I started to read and I learned that one of the, the number one killer of women is not breast cancer, which we talk about a lot. It's really heart disease. And so this hit me like a ton of bricks because I was living this. You know, my first cousins are like siblings to me. And so to watch them and my sister go through these things, I thought I want to I want to do something different. And so at that point, working out and this fit fit lifestyle became more about making sure that I was healthy and I would be around for my boys, if that makes sense. And so even during the seasons where my eating habits weren't the best. I was always heart healthy. So I was always out running during the pandemic. I would put my boys down for a nap and I would go for a run for an hour. And then I started to realize at that time, wait a second, my heart's healthy. But mentally, I started to really know that I was craving that workout. And so I started, okay, mentally, I'm getting this endorphin release. I'm feeling better. I'm doing more when I'm exercising. So I'm starting to connect all these pieces, which are probably obvious to some people. But for me, it was like, I was very slow in figuring all this out. Like I want to be heart healthy. There's a side benefit of, you know, being able to look the way I want to look, but mentally I feel so much better. I can get so much more accomplished when I've worked out. And then I started getting into fitness competitions because for me, And I would probably say most people, I'm better when I'm working towards something. And so last year, I trained for my first fitness competition. And I took home a second place trophy. And I was excited because, to be honest, I didn't expect to place at all. And so then, of course, I said, well, I have to go back again and take home a first place trophy. So right now, I'm actually not working out. I'm in training. And there's a difference for an upcoming fitness competition. So. There it is. So I knew, I knew it had to be something. I knew it had to be something because when you meet her in person, and if you look online, like you can see it too, she has a presence. And a few of my friends were like, hey, who's body over there? You know, like, like they were calling <laughs> oh my body, like some of my personal friends. I was laughing, but I was like, man, she's really fit more than the average person. For a busy mom, busy wife, entrepreneur, CEO, all the things you're doing. Let's not talk about a show. What does your daily routine look like? And I want you to explain it in a way that the person that wants to be like you or is aspiring to include fitness into their journey can follow. This is this is actually a, a very aptly timed question, question that you're asking because I just had this conversation with a friend on Sunday. What I would say is to start with small, sustainable habits. You're not going to jump into waking up every day and being in the gym between 5 and 6 a.m. If you're doing no workouts now, you're not going to do that four or five days a week. Like people don't just start into that. What I would say is start with small, sustainable habits. It might be to drink a little bit more water. It might be to be a little bit mindful of like portion controls. It might be to limit fast food to once a week, right? Like, so whatever is manageable for you to start making those gains and focus on non-scale victories. To be honest, at a certain point, probably for two years, I didn't even get on the scale. And my trainer said, you don't need to get on the scale. You can look in the mirror. And it's what I did, right? I'm on the scale now a little bit because I'm in training and I'm sort of paying attention to body fat and things. But Start focusing on non-scale victories and start to make 
think about wellness practices because they're going to take you a lot further. In terms of my schedule, I work out definitely four. My goal is five, but definitely four days a week. And I try to get my work out in before my children wake up because I want to be there, there in the morning with them to sort of set the tone for their school day. I'm not always successful, but my goal is to be out and in before they get up. Now, I feel I'm an early riser, but I feel like the earlier I get up, the earlier they get up. I had to make my son go back to bed at 430 this morning. I was like, no, sir. No, sir. <laughs> go back to bed. And so <laughs> I got home at about 615 and he woke up 15 minutes later. So I just I thought, OK, this is this is not this is not working for me. But but anyway, I think trying to get it done early for me, too, especially when you have a full day of head, because so many things can come up. I'm also not a night person. I actually am a little bit jealous of folks who can go get a full good workout in at night because by the end of the day, my, I'm, I'm done. Like, forget it. Two o'clock. You don't actually want to talk to me after two o'clock. <laughs> like, my brain is not working. It's not all cylinders are not firing. So, yeah. Lots of nuggets there. The main takeaway here, y'all, is this. Don't focus so much on the workout routine in the beginning, right? Because you're not going to be able to just jump into it. Focus on wellness strategies, wellness milestones, yep. more water, less fast food, yep. eat less, things like that. Fantastic. More movement in general, right? More movement in general. I'll add this too. Like do something that you enjoy doing. So in my 20s, I love Zumba. I don't even, is Zumba still a thing anymore? I don't know. It is in the Hispanic community. It, okay. It, well, it, there you go. So <laughs> I, I loved Zumba and it's something yeah. I did two or three times a week with friends and I just loved it. I was not missing a workout because I was having fun. And so whether salsa dancing at night is your movement activity or roller skating, or maybe you like lifting weights, I had to make myself like weightlifting. But I think whatever it is that you enjoy, do that. And it won't feel like a have to, it'll feel like a want to. You know what? Drop the mic on that. Nothing I can add. Avisha, I picked three things that I love and respect about you. And just to recap, entrepreneurship, your passion for that, authorship, being an author, and your fitness journey, your passion in that. What is something that you want to leave our audience with that we did not discuss today that you want them to know about you? That's a great question. What do I want them to know about me? What I'll say is that one of the things about me, and I feel like I've been successful because I know that there is no point that I, I haven't arrived, right? Like I see myself on a journey to get better. I'm probably the least person of the folks I work out with to talk about fitness, but I'm on a journey, right? Like I, there are other authors, so many authors that I admire and I want to grow into that, right? There are entrepreneurs and schools like ours that I look up to and I try to glean from. And so the one thing I would say is that my own personal key to success is that I know that I'm always going to continue to strive toward it. So, Well, this is the part of the show where I give you your flowers. I am not the type of person that agrees with telling people how you feel about them, but they're not here anymore. I'd rather mm -hmm. tell you why you're here. So Avisha, you are actually a real sister. I let that sink in. You are a real sister. You are the type of person that supports not just your own, 
but other people of color and including our white brothers and sisters. You employ people, you hire them, you buy their books, and not just in a little way, in a major way, in a way that makes me hope that one day, well, no, I will one day do that like you. There's not many people like you that are not just you know, talking the talk, you're actually walking the walk and living equity. And I just want to say that you don't need to hear that from me, right? I know that people in your life already share that with you, but I wanted to publicly, publicly, because I know this will be viewed, I want that to be said about you. I admire you, I respect you, I love what you're doing, and I can't wait for your book to come out and have you back on here, and we're gonna show the book, and we're gonna shout it out, have a little party, and have a lot of people log in, and I can't wait to celebrate you in person as well. Thank you, my sister. Thank you so much, I appreciate that, thank you. Okay, so let's put this into the universe. How can people contact you, not just in Illinois, not just in Chi-Town, not just in the United States, so they can hire you internationally all around the country to have you speak, book signings, and show the people how to do what you do. Absolutely. Super easy. DrAvisha.com. Just like that. DrAvisha.com. Super easy. There's a contact me form on there. Come straight to me and um, everything you'll need to know right on that website. And that is going on the show notes. Thank you. And that's it for today. Until next time, this is the Lifelong Learning to Find podcast. And I'm George Valenzuela. Thank you for listening to the Lifelong Learning to Find podcast with George Valenzuela.